Chapter 9, Part 2 of Sentimental Education. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Sentimental Education by Gustave Flaubert. Chapter 9, A Friend of the Family, Part 2. Next morning, at 11 o'clock, he presented himself at Monsieur D'Ambrose's house. He was received in the dining room. The banker was seated opposite his wife at breakfast. Beside her sat his niece, and at the other side of the table appeared the governess, an Englishwoman, strongly pitted with smallpox. Monsieur d'Ambrose invited his young friend to take his place among them, and when he declined, "'What can I do for you?' "'I am listening to whatever you have to say to me.' Frederick confessed, while affecting indifference, that he had come to make a request on behalf of one Arnoux. <laughs> <laughs> the ex-picture dealer, said the banker, with a noiseless laugh which exposed his gums. Audrey formally gave security for him. He has given a lot of trouble. And he proceeded to read the letters and newspapers which lay close beside him on the table. Two servants attended without making the least noise on the floor. And the loftiness of the apartment, which had three portieres of richest tapestry and two white marble fountains, the polish of the chafing-dish, the arrangement of the side-dishes, and even the rigid folds of the napkins. All this sumptuous comfort impressed Frederick's mind with the contrast between it and another breakfast at the Arnoux's house. He did not take the liberty of interrupting Monsieur D'Ambrose. Madame noticed his embarrassment. "'Do you occasionally see our friend Martinon?' "'He will be here this evening,' said the young girl in a lively tone. "'So you know him?' said her aunt, fixing on her a freezing look. At that moment, one of the men-servants, bending forward, whispered in her ear, "'Your dressmaker, mademoiselle, Miss John.' And the governess, in obedience to this summons, left the room along with her pupil. Monsieur d'Ambreuse, annoyed at the disarrangement of the chairs by this movement, asked what was the matter. "'Tis Madame Régimbar. "'Wait a moment. Régimbar, I know that name. "'I've come across his signature.' Frederick at length broached the question. Arnoux deserved some consideration. He was even going, for the sole purpose of fulfilling his engagements, to sell a house belonging to his wife. "'She's considered very pretty,' said Madame d'Ambreuse. The banker added with a display of good nature, "'Are you on friendly terms with them, on intimate terms?' Frederick, without giving an explicit reply, said that he would be very much obliged to him if he considered the matter." "'Well, since it pleases you, be it so. We will wait. "'I have some time to spare yet. Suppose we go down to my office. Would you mind?' "'They had finished breakfast. "'Madame d'Ambreuse bowed slightly towards Frederick, smiling in a singular fashion, "'with a mixture of politeness and irony. "'Frederick had no time to reflect about it, for Monsieur d'Ambreuse, as soon as they were alone, "'you did not come to get your shares. "'And without permitting him to make any excuses,' "'Well, well, tis right that you should know a little more about the business.' He offered Frederick a cigarette and began his statement. The general union of French coal mines had been constituted. All that they were waiting for was the order for its incorporation. The mere fact of the amalgamation had diminished the cost of superintendence and of manual labour and increased the profits. Besides, the company had conceived a new idea, which was to interest the workmen in its undertaking.' 
it would erect houses for them, healthful dwellings. Finally, it would constitute itself the purveyor of its employees and would have everything supplied to them at net prices. And they will be the gainers by it, monsieur. There's true progress. That's the way to reply effectively to certain Republican brawlings. We have on our board, he showed the prospectus, a peer of France, a scholar who is a member of the Institute, a retired field officer of genius. Such elements reassure the timid capitalists and appeal to intelligent capitalists. The company would have in its favour the sanction of the state, then the railways, the steam service, the metallurgical establishments, the gas companies, and ordinary households. Thus we heat, we light, we penetrate to the very hearth of the humblest home. But how, you will say to me, can we be sure of selling? By the aid of protective laws, dear monsieur, and we shall get them. That is a matter that concerns us. For my part, however, I am a downright prohibitionist. The country before anything. He had been appointed a director, but he had no time to occupy himself with certain details, amongst other things, with the editing of their publications. I find myself rather muddled with my authors. I have forgotten my Greek. I should want someone who could put my ideas into shape. And suddenly, will you be the man to perform those duties, with the title of General Secretary? Frederick did not know what reply to make. Well, what is there to prevent you? His functions would be confined to writing a report every year for the shareholders. He would find himself, day after day, in communication with the most notable men in Paris. Representing the company with the workmen, he would ere long be worshipped by them as a natural consequence and by this means he would be able, later, to push him into the general council and into the position of a deputy. Frederick's ears tingled. Whence came this goodwill? He got confused in returning thanks. But it was not necessary, the banker said, that he should be dependent on anyone. The best course was to take some shares. A splendid investment besides, for your capital guarantees your position, as your position does your capital. How much should it amount to? said Frederick. Oh, well, whatever you please. From forty to sixty thousand francs, I suppose. This sum was so trifling in Monsieur d'Ampereuse's eyes, and his authority was so great, that the young man resolved immediately to sell a farm. He accepted the offer. Monsieur d'Ampereuse was to select one of his disengaged days for an appointment in order to finish their arrangements. So I can say to Jacques Arnoux, anything you like, the poor chap, anything you like. Frederick wrote to the Arnoux to make their minds easy, and he dispatched the letter by a manservant, who brought back the letter, all right. His action in the matter deserved better recognition. He expected a visit, or at least a letter. He did not receive a visit, and no letter arrived. Was it? forgetfulness on their part, or was it intentional? Since Madame Arnoux had come once, what was to prevent her from coming again? The species of confidence, of avowal, of which she had made him the recipient on the occasion, was nothing better, then, than a manoeuvre which she had executed through interested motives. Are they playing on me? And is she an accomplice of her husband? A sort of shame, in spite of his desire prevented him from returning to their house. One morning, 
three weeks after their interview monsieur d'abrez wrote to him saying that he expected him the same day in an hour's time on the way the thought of arnoux oppressed him once more and not having been able to discover any reason for his conduct he was seized with a feeling of wretchedness a melancholy presentiment in order to shake it off he hailed a cab and drove to the rue de paradis arnoux was away travelling and madame in the country at the works when is monsieur coming back tomorrow without fail he would find her alone this was the opportune moment something imperious seemed to cry out in the depths of his consciousness go then and meet her but monsieur d'ambreuse ah well so much the worse i'll say that i was ill he rushed to the railway station and as soon as he was in the carriage perhaps i have done wrong Pshaw, what does it matter green plains stretched out to the right and to the left the train rolled on the little station houses glistened like stage scenery and the smoke of the locomotive kept constantly sending forth on the same side its big fleecy masses which danced for a little while on the grass and were then dispersed frederick who sat alone in his compartment gazed at these objects through sheer weariness lost in that languor which is produced by the very excess of impatience but cranes and warehouses presently appeared they had reached Cray. the town built on the slopes of two low-lying hills the first of which was bare and the second crowned by a wood with its church tower its houses of unequal size and its stone bridge seemed to him to present an aspect of mingled gaiety reserve and propriety a long flat barge descended to the edge of the water which leaped up under the lash of the wind fowl perched on the straw at the foot of the crucifix erected on the spot a woman passed with some wet linen on her head after crossing the bridge he found himself in an aisle where he beheld on his right the ruins of an abbey a mill with its wheels revolving barred up the entire width of the second arm of the oise over which the manufactory projected frederick was greatly surprised by the imposing character of this structure he felt more respect for arnoux on account of it three paces further on he turned up an alley which had a grating at its lower end he went in the doorkeeper called him back exclaiming have you a permit for what purpose for the purpose of visiting the establishment frederick said in a rather curt tone that he had come to see monsieur arnoux who is monsieur arnoux why the chief the master the proprietor in fact no monsieur these are monsieur leboeuf and millier's works the good woman was surely joking some workmen arrived he came up and spoke to two or three of them they gave the same response frederick left the premises staggering like a drunken man and he had such a look of perplexity that on the pont de la boucherie an inhabitant of the town who was smoking his pipe asked whether he wanted to find out anything this man knew where arnoux's manufactory was it was situated at montaterre frederick asked whether a vehicle was to be got he was told that the only place where he could find one was at the station he went back there a shaky-looking calash to which was yoked an old horse with torn harness hanging over the shafts stood all alone in front of the luggage office an urchin who was looking on 
offered to go and find Père Pilon. In ten minutes' time he came back and announced that Père Pilon was at his breakfast. Frederick, unable to stand this any longer, walked away. But the gates of the thoroughfare across the line were closed. He would have to wait till two trains had passed. At last he made a dash into the open country. The monotonous greenery made it look like the cover of an immense billiard table. The scoriae of iron were ranged on both sides of the track like heaps of stones. A little further on, some factory chimneys were smoking close beside each other. In front of him, on a round hillock, stood a little turreted chateau, with a quadrangular belfry of a church. At a lower level, long walls formed irregular lines past the trees, and further down again, the houses of the village spread out. They had only a single story, with staircases consisting of three steps made of uncemented blocks. Every now and then, the bell in front of a grocery shop could be heard tinkling. Heavy steps sank into the black mire, and a light shower was falling, which cut the pale sky with a thousand hatchings. Frederick pursued his way along the middle of the street. Then he saw on his left, at the opening of a pathway, a large wooden arch whereon was traced in letters of gold the word faïences. It was not without an object that Jacques Arnoux had selected the vicinity of Cray. By placing his works as close as possible to the other works, which had long enjoyed a high reputation, he had created a certain confusion in the public mind, with a favourable result so far as his own interests were concerned. The main body of the building rested on the same bank of a river which flows through the Meadowlands. The master's house, surrounded by a garden, could be distinguished by the steps in front of it, adorned with four vases, in which cactuses were bristling. Heaps of white clay were drying under sheds. There were others in the open air, and in the midst of the yard stood Senecal with his everlasting blue paletot lined with red. The ex-tutor extended towards Frederick his cold hand. You've come to see the master? He's not there. Frederick, nonplussed, replied in a stupefied fashion, I knew it but at the next moment correcting himself. "'Tis about a matter that concerns Madame Arnoux. Can she receive me?' "'Ha! I have not seen her for the last three days,' said Senecal. And he broke into a long string of complaints. When he accepted the post of manager, he understood that he would have been allowed to reside in Paris and not be forced to bury himself in this country district, far from his friends, deprived of newspapers, no matter. He had overlooked all that. But Arnaud appeared to pay no heed to his merits. He was, moreover, shallow and retrograde. No one could be more ignorant. In place of seeking for artistic improvements, it would have been better to introduce firewood instead of coal and gas. The shopkeeping spirit thrust itself in. Seneca laid stress on the last words. In short, he disliked his present occupation, and he all but appealed to Frederick to say a word in his behalf, in order that he might get an increase of salary. "'Make your mind easy,' said the other. He met nobody on the staircase. On the first floor, he pushed his way head foremost into an empty room. It was the drawing room. He called out at the top of his voice. There was no reply. No doubt the cook had gone out, and so had the housemaid. At length, having reached the second floor, he pushed a door open. Madame Arnoux was alone in this room, in front of a press with a mirror attached. The belt of her dressing gown hung down her hips. 
one entire half of her hair fell in a dark wave over her right shoulder, and she had raised both arms in order to hold up her chignon with one hand and to put a pin through it with the other. She broke into an exclamation and disappeared. Then she came back again properly dressed. Her waist, her eyes, the rustle of her dress, her entire appearance charmed him. Frederick felt it hard to keep from covering her with kisses. I, I beg your pardon, said she, but I could not. He had the boldness to interrupt her with these words. Nevertheless, you looked very nice just now. She probably thought this compliment a little coarse, for her cheeks reddened. He was afraid that he might have offended her. She went on, what lucky chance has brought you here? He did not know what reply to make, and, after a slight chuckle which gave him time for reflection, if I told you, would you believe me? Why not? Frederick informed her that he had had a frightful dream a few nights before. I dreamt that you were seriously ill, near dying. Oh, my husband and I are never ill. I have dreamt only of you, said he. She gazed at him calmly. Dreams are not always realised. Frederick stammered, sought to find appropriate words to express himself in, and then plunged into a flowing period about the affinity of souls. There existed a force which could, through the intervening bounds of space, bring two persons into communication with each other, make known to each the other's feelings, and enable them to reunite. She listened to him with downcast face, while she smiled with that beautiful smile of hers. He watched her out of the corner of his eye with delight and poured out his love all the more freely through the easy channel of a commonplace remark. She offered to show him the works, and, as she persisted, he made no objection. In order to divert his attention with something of an amusing nature, she showed him the species of museum that decorated the staircase. The specimens, hung up against the wall or laid on shelves, bore witness to the efforts and the successive fads of Arnoux. After seeking vainly for the red of Chinese copper, he had wished to manufacture majolicas, faience, etruscan and oriental ware, and had, in fact, attempted all the improvements which were realised at a later period. So it was that one could observe in the series big vases covered with figures of mandarins, porringers of shot reddish-brown, pots adorned with Arabian inscriptions, drinking vessels in the style of the Renaissance, and large plates on which two personages were outlined as it were on bloodstone, in a delicate aerial fashion. He now made letters for signboards and wine labels, but his intelligence was not high enough to attain to art, nor commonplace enough to look merely to profit, so that without satisfying anyone, he had ruined himself. They were both taking a view of these things when Mademoiselle Marthe passed. So then, you did not recognize him, said her mother to her. Yes, indeed, she replied, bowing to him, while her clear and sceptical glance, the glance of aversion, seemed to say in a whisper, What are you coming here for? And she rushed up the steps with her head slightly bent over her shoulder. Madame Arnoux led Frederick into the yard attached to the works, and then explained to him in a grave tone how different clays were ground, cleaned and sifted. The most important thing is the preparation of pastes and she introduced him into a hall filled with vats, in which a vertical axis with horizontal arms kept turning. Frederick felt some regret that he had not flatly declined her offer a little while before. 
these things are merely the slobberings said she he thought the word grotesque and in a measure unbecoming on her lips wide straps ran from one end of the ceiling to the other so as to roll themselves round the drums and everything kept moving continuously with a provoking mathematical regularity they left the spot and passed close to a ruined hut which had formerly been used as a repository for gardening implements it is no longer of any use said madame arnaud he replied in a tremulous voice happiness may have been associated with it the clacking of the fire-pump drowned his words and they entered the workshop where rough draughts were made some men seated at a narrow table placed each in front of himself on a revolving disc a piece of paste then each man with his left hand scooped out the insides of his own piece while smoothing its surface with the right and vases could be seen bursting into shape like blossoming flowers madame arnoux had the moulds for more difficult works shown to him in another portion of the building the threads the necks and the projecting lines were being formed on the floor above they removed the seams and stopped up with plaster the little holes that had been left by the preceding operations at every opening in the walls in corners in the middle of the corridor everywhere earthenware vessels had been placed side by side frederick began to feel bored perhaps these things are tiresome to you said she fearing lest it might be necessary to terminate his visit there and then he affected on the contrary a tone of great enthusiasm he even expressed regret at not having devoted himself to this branch of industry she appeared surprised certainly i would have been able to live near you and as he tried to catch her eye madame arnoux in order to avoid him took off a bracket little balls of paste which had come from abortive readjustments flattened them out into a thin cake and pressed her hand over them might i carry these away with me said frederick good heavens are you so childish he was about to reply when in came senecal the sub-manager on the threshold had noticed a breach of the rules the workshops should be swept every week this was saturday and as the workmen had not done what was required senecal announced that they would have to remain an hour longer so much the worse for you they stooped over the work assigned to them unmurmuringly but their rage could be divined by the hoarse sounds which came from their chests they were moreover very easy to manage having all been dismissed from the big manufactory the republican had showed himself a hard taskmaster to them a mere theorist he regarded the people only in the mass and exhibited an utter absence of pity for individuals frederick annoyed by his presence asked madame arnoux in a low tone whether they could have an opportunity of seeing the kilns they descended to the ground floor and she was just explaining the use of caskets when senecal who had followed close behind placed himself between them he continued the explanation of his own motion expatiated on the various kinds of combustibles the process of placing in the kiln the pyroscopes the cylindrical furnaces the instruments for rounding the lustres and the metals making a prodigious display of chemical terms such as chloride sulphuret borax and carbonate frederick did not understand a single one of them and kept turning round every minute towards madame arnoux you are not listening said she monsieur senecal however is very clear he knows all these things much better than i the mathematician flattered by this eulogy proposed to show the way in which colours were laid on frederick gave madame arnoux an anxious questioning look she remained impassive 
not caring to be alone with him, very probably, and yet unwilling to leave him. He offered her his arm. No, many thanks. The staircase is too narrow. And, when they had reached the top, Senecal opened the door of an apartment filled with women. They were handling brushes, files, shells, and plates of glass. Along the cornice, close to the wall, extended boards with figures engraved on them. Scraps of thin paper floated about, and a melting stove sent forth fumes that made the temperature oppressive, while there mingled with it the odour of turpentine. The workwomen had nearly all sordid costumes. It was noticeable, however, that one of them wore a madras handkerchief and long earrings. Of slight frame, and at the same time plump, she had large black eyes and the fleshy lips of a negress. Her ample bosom projected from under her chemise, which was fastened round her waist by the string of her petticoat, and, with one elbow on the board of the work-table and the other arm hanging down, she gazed vaguely at the open country, a long distance away. Beside her were a bottle of wine and some pork-chops. The regulations prohibited eating in the workshops, a rule intended to secure cleanliness at work and to keep the hands in a healthy condition. Senecal, through a sense of duty or a longing to exercise despotic authority, shouted out to her ear he had come near her, while pointing towards a framed placard. "'I say, you, girl from Bordeaux over there, read out for me Article 9.' "'Well, what then?' "'What then, mademoiselle? You'll have to pay a fine of three francs.' She looked him straight in the face in an impudent fashion. "'What does that signify to me? The master will take off your fine when he comes back. I laugh at you, my good man.' Senecal, who was walking with his hands behind his back, like an usher in the study room, contented himself with smiling. Article 13. Insubordination. Ten francs. The girl from Bordeaux resumed her work. Madame Arnoux, through a sense of propriety, said nothing but her brows contracted. Frederick murmured, "'Ah, you are very severe for a Democrat.' The other replied in a magisterial tone, "'Democracy is not the unbounded license of individualism. It is the equality of all belonging to the same community before the law, the distribution of work, order.' "'You are forgetting humanity,' said Frederick. Madame Arnoux took his arm. Senecal, perhaps offended by this mark of silent approbation, went away. Frederick experienced an immense relief. Since morning, he had been looking out for the opportunity to declare itself. Now, it had arrived. Besides, Madame Arnoux's spontaneous movements seemed to him to contain promises, and he asked her, as if on the pretext of warming their feet, to come up to her room. But, when he was seated close beside her, he began once more to feel embarrassed. He was at a loss for a starting point. Senecal, luckily, suggested an idea to his mind. "'Nothing could be more stupid,' said he, "'than this punishment.' Madame Arnoux replied, "'There are certain severe measures which are indispensable.' "'What? You who are so good?' "'Oh, I am mistaken, for you sometimes take pleasure in making other people suffer?' "'I don't understand riddles, my friend.' and her austere look, still more than the words she used, checked him. Frederick was determined to go on. A volume of de Musset chanced to be on the chest of drawers. He turned over some pages, 
then began to talk about love about his hopes and his transports all this according to madame arnoux was criminal or factitious the young man felt wounded by this negative attitude with regard to his passion and in order to combat it he cited by way of proof the suicides which they read about every day in the newspapers extolled the great literary types phaedre dido romeo desgrier he talked as if he meant to do away with himself the fire was no longer burning on the hearth the rain lashed against the window-panes madame arnoux without stirring remained with her hands resting on the sides of her armchair the flaps of her cap fell like the fillets of a sphinx her pure profile traced out its clear-cut outlines in the midst of the shadow he was anxious to cast himself at her feet there was a creaking sound in the lobby and he did not venture to carry out his intention he was moreover restrained by a kind of religious awe that robe mingling with the surrounding shadows appeared to him boundless infinite incapable of being touched and for this very reason his desire became intensified but the fear of doing too much and again of not doing enough deprived him of all judgment if she dislikes me he thought let her drive me away if she cares for me let her encourage me he said with a sigh so then you don't admit that a man may love a woman madame arnoux replied assuming that she is at liberty to marry he may marry her when she belongs to another he should keep away from her so happiness is impossible no but it is never to be found in falsehood mental anxiety and remorse what does it matter if one is compensated by the enjoyment of supreme bliss the experience is too costly then he sought to assail her with irony would not virtue in that case be merely cowardice say rather clear-sightedness even for those women who might forget duty or religion simple good sense is sufficient a solid foundation for wisdom may be found in self-love ah what shopkeeping maxims these are of yours but i don't boast of being a fine lady at that moment the little boy rushed in mamma are you coming to dinner yes in a moment frederick arose at the same instant marthe made her appearance he could not make up his mind to go away and with a look of entreaty these women you speak of are very unfeeling then no but deaf when it is necessary to be so and she remained standing on the threshold of her room with her two children beside her he bowed without saying a word she mutely returned his salutation what he first experienced was an unspeakable astonishment he felt crushed by this mode of impressing on him the emptiness of his hopes it seemed to him as if he were lost like a man who has fallen to the bottom of an abyss and knows that no help will come to him and that he must die he walked on however but at random without looking before him he knocked against stones he mistook his way a clatter of wooden shoes sounded close to his ear it was caused by some of the working girls who were leaving the foundry then he realized where he was the railway lamps traced on the horizon a line of flames 
he arrived just as the train was starting, let himself be pushed into a carriage, and fell asleep. An hour later on the boulevards, the gaiety of Paris by night made his journey all at once recede into an already far distant past. He resolved to be strong, and relieved his heart by vilifying Madame Arnoux with insulting epithets. She is an idiot, a goose, a mere brute. Let us not bestow another thought on her. When he got home, he found in his study a letter of eight pages on blue glazed paper with the initials R.A. It began with friendly reproaches. What has become of you, my dear? I'm getting quite bored. But the handwriting was so abominable that Frederick was about to fling away the entire bundle of sheets when he noticed in the postscript the following words. I count on you to come tomorrow and drive me to the races. What was the meaning of this invitation? Was it another trick of the Maréchal? But a woman does not make a fool of the same man twice without some object. And, seized with curiosity, he read the letter over again attentively. Frederick was able to distinguish misunderstanding, to have taken a wrong path, disillusions, poor children that we are, like two rivers that join each other, etc. He kept the sheets for a long time between his fingers. They had the odour of oris, and there was in the form of the characters and the irregular spaces between the lines something suggestive, as it were, of a disorderly toilet that fired his blood. Why should I not go? said he to himself at length. But if Madame Arnoux were to know about it... Ah! Let her know. So much the better. And let her feel jealous over it. In that way, I shall be avenged. End of chapter 9, part 2. Recording by Kate M.